Hey everyone, welcome to Just Crypto. Uh, we're a show that has uh, honest conversations with creators, builders, and artists within the uh, crypto community. And our role here is to elevate the humanity of those who are driving our community forward. And so we'll focus on their journey, the projects they're working on, um, and really get a chance to, to know those in our community a little bit better. Uh, my name is Vanessa. I'm blessed to be here with my uh, producer and our co-host, uh, Daniel. Hello, people. I'm Daniel at Setascent. And just a reminder that nothing we say here is financial advice. Please do your own research. Uh, today we have with us uh, the one and only uh, Patrick Rivenbark uh, for, uh, at Twitter, sorry, on Twitter at programmable underscore art. Thank you, Patrick, for being with us. It is great to be here. I'm excited to have a great conversation with y'all. Yeah, really looking forward to the, the conversation, Patrick. You've got a, a lot of interesting things that you're into. I know we've got a few folks who are also joining us here live. So we do, you know, take questions, comments from the chat. We want this to be really a, you know, more of a dialogue between between everyone. And, um, you know, if you have any questions for Patrick, please do pop them in the chat. Uh, so let's kind of go ahead and get started. And, uh, you know, why don't you, in your own words, set the groundwork for us? Like, who are you? What do you do? Um, <laughs> get, let the audience know you a little bit better. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll keep it sort of relevant to this crypto story. Um, so my background sort of personally, professionally, how I got here a long time ago was working in what's called fintech or financial technology or whatever it may be. Um, and that's just all the software that's running financial services, banking, all sorts of stuff. It's a very big, 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 big field. Um, and, you know, my heart, I was sort of a nerd and at heart, and I also happen to be uh, back in college, look studying art history, and, and I just have this weird sort of mix of finance and technology and, and art. Um, and then I was working, got exposed to, to Bitcoin, I guess, in the mid 2014, 15, and didn't I didn't know anything about it uh, other than I was interested, and I just happened to be doing some more enterprise fintech stuff. Um, and this is relevant because what it had me do was to kind of lay the groundwork of what blockchain is. And it really helped me think about how to use it from a business point of view. And, and so I came at that the whole time. And then that sort of shaped my lens going forward. So I did a lot of just keeping up with it. I mean, you know, living through 2016 and 2017, and it was very volatile. And I had no idea what I was doing and trading all sorts of stupid things and um, not, not having any idea there. Fast forward and and was exposed to Cardano at that point, at least Charles at Ethereum Classic, but um, kind of bring this very strange mix of, of how to apply blockchain and, and, and crypto to the traditional world. And then, um, you know, I'd heard about NFTs and things, but wasn't really interested. I mean, I dabbled in Ethereum here and there, DeFi, and, and I sort of kept up with the, the trends. And um, it wasn't until last summer where kind of unsigs and Cardano NFTs really kind of got me captivated. And instead of just being a passive investor and kind of thinking about the technology really uh, from a macro point of view, got me into thinking, well, hey, I'll, I'll go participate a little bit. I'll join, join Discord, which is sort of, you know, I'm, I'm still not really happy about that decision yet. <laughs> but um, at least at least most of it was on Twitter. So I got to go there. So spent the last year really, year and a half, I guess, digging into Cardano specifically and, and thinking a lot about what's going on there in the NFT space, um, now in TFI, and then currently kind of trying to combine all that into the more traditional world as well. So I'll pause there and just say that's that's sort of the background. Um, but we'll, we'll dive into a lot of those different topics, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. So there's one thing I'd love to unpack a little bit. You, you know, you mentioned that when you first uh, discovered crypto and the blockchain, um, that you were kind of looking at it from a foundational perspective based on your experience in fintech. Can you elaborate a bit more? I mean, what about the blockchain appealed to you as kind of a new and different tech that you thought would, would be relevant? Yeah, so so working in the broader financial services, right? And that's everything. And the U.S. is a little unique. So from an international point of view, something unique about the United States is we have just now a little under 10,000 financial institutions or banks or mutuals, as, as you may call them, depending where you're in the world. And having so many different institutions is sort of one thing because there's a bit much more vibrant kind of, we'll call it banking scene, we'll call it like that. And then two, one of the things that um, really stuck with me in working in the kind of the guts and the, the plumbing of, of money, traditional TradFi, if we're going to use our, our terms here today, um, is how how critical it is or how easy it is to, to assume and to take for granted. Now, I'm, uh, I'm in crypto, I'm in blockchain, I, I think there's a, a lot of really good benefits about it, but I do think there's, you know, seeing how money moves, seeing the impact it has is 
more critical infrastructure to how the rest of society works. Um, that's a perspective that's hard to get unless you're really in the back end of it. But that's that, that perspective of how money moves from bank to bank or country to country or all the permutations and technology about, you know, what as consumers, um, it just works, right? You go to the store, you use your credit card, your debit card, your check. I mean, we have all sorts of payment mechanisms that all happen to route to the same place. So um, that really shaped it. And then two, when, when look, learning about blockchain and at the time, they called it distributed ledger technology because in the, in the blockchain was a bad word. Um, it was it was still being figured out. It's still really conceptual. I mean, we were talking about master nodes, master coins, and color code uh, color coins, and and all sorts of really you know new unique ways that have come out to what we learn today. But the main thing was. I saw, I was, so I've been living in this parallel world of seeing a lot of problems in traditional finance solved through a blockchain network, which is one of the reasons it was appealing. Um, and then at the same time, realizing how important it is to get it right and how a lot of the, uh, from the outside in, there's a lot of assumptions around how the traditional finance system works. And that's been this weird, strange kind of in both sides over the last, probably, I guess, eight years now that's informed a lot of how I think today. Something that... that fascinates me from your story is that you not only uh, were in crypto from uh, 2014, you said, right? But you were actively there with experience in, in businesses related to uh, the finances and so on and so forth. So I wonder, what uh, how, were there some highlights around that time in, in the crypto community that uh, maybe you look back and you say, well, whoa, that happened. It feels like it happened a long time ago, but that the moment was so important or or because um, I'm, I'm trying to put in perspective that the last couple of years for the new users in crypto, maybe they'll feel like it has been everything. But for you, it's like, well, yeah, this, something like this happened in the past and this is not as dramatic as people might, might, might feel. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the, I'll call it the obvious things that people talk about, volatility, and, and it does help. I mean, it helps to have, have, have gone through, you know, going from whatever 20,000 Bitcoin to two or whatever end up being, right? And I will say something when me coming at it from a, I'll call it enterprise use case, because the, the, the performance just wasn't there and the programmability wasn't there, and it's all very much this is kind of working, right? Early day Ethereum, smart contracts and things. You could see it, but you weren't necessarily too, it was exciting, but at the same time, it was quickly apparent like, oh, that's not going to work for any actual use case yet. So there was enough experimentation and proof of concepts. And there's a company, um, I think they just like last, this past year really came out called Colony, I think. And they, they were doing like sort of this DAO task set up out of, out of, um, England, I think, and they didn't really release much until 2020. And they were, we talked to, I talked to them in 2015 about this idea of a DAO. And, and I don't think I quite understood it. And I don't think I honestly understood blockchain at all, to be frank, now that I look back and know what I know now. But, um, but so I think what stood out a little bit was how much, now that I look back, was that it was obvious nothing was going to happen in the next couple of years, right? From a, a, a bigger use case. Um, so two, so I think this idea of like always being waiting and always waiting for something next thing to come out, that feels very similar, but now, man, it's so much more useful. Um, it's everything. I mean, across, across the ecosystem. Um, and, and, and so what stood, stands out a little bit is, is we're sort of, feel very similar we're always still waiting a little bit it's always the next hard fork it's always the next upgrade it's always the next merge that, that's going to happen um so that's the same and that volatility is the same but today there's a lot more to do with it and and, and i think that's the, the bit of it and the last thing i'll say which is i didn't i think it's i was so interested in the concepts and i knew it wasn't anywhere close that i that i didn't necessarily dive into it as much as i should and it was cardano when that happened that, that i actually got into building on a day-to-day -day basis that was i think what was most that's been the most difference for me to kind of bridge bridge across your question thank you yeah there was something you mentioned uh, around kind of blockchain where you saw it solving some of the problems that tradfi had uh, what were those problems that you saw blockchain solving uniquely from the traditional systems? One is finality, right? It's a settlement. And, and I think, you know, we, we are, there's so much that happens from when you send your money or swipe a card or do anything that it seems and looks instant in the traditional world. But there's a lot of things like reconciliation. There's a lot of, um, of other items that, that just take a really long time to, 
to pipe things back and forth and make sure it's all correct and make sure all the counterparties are there. And when you see that and people say that Bitcoin took too long and I said, if it took 10 minutes for me to know that it was exactly what I wanted when I, when I sent it and that's it, that is lightning speed compared to actual like traditional finance, right? Except for, you know, exchanges and stocks. I mean, let's leaving, leaving that side of So that was one of those things where I'm looking around going, man, they're spending a lot of time on just getting point A to point B and all the people and technology mm-hmm. and systems to reconcile and make sure that's quote unquote true. And then you see it happen every 10 minutes, like clockwork on Bitcoin at the time. And you're going, well, that efficiency is just, uh, it's massive, massively different, yeah. but it's hard from people's point of view. You want, you know, I get paid in 10 minutes. It's like, well, if you actually got paid between your money really hitting your bank account, it'd be a couple of days, at least in the US. So, Yeah. And it's interesting because I think a lot of folks confuse, you know, the, the raw transactions per second metric that many chains have with this notion of uh, finality. Uh, do you have a, a concise way of talking about the difference between those two? Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you order something from Amazon, you don't actually, you order it and the transactions there and it's like, I got it. You kind of own it, but still got a day or two or three, depending on where you live, um, to get to your house versus when you, when you get from Amazon now and you order it, you get to that same day. It's like, okay, you could wait two days and, and that's, that's really fast because you just take a week and then Amazon's been doing, going faster and faster and faster. You get it that, that day from there. Well, that, that one day, same day delivery versus two day delivery seems massive. And I'd say that's probably a great analogy. Yeah, that's fantastic. I hadn't heard that one before. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that for the future. I, I, I literally just came up with, I was, I was like, I was like, <laughs> what, I was like, what is a great analogy? So uh, good. I would use it too. Well, it's you know, shared here. We're getting this recorded. Put it on chain. So you, <laughs> you, you, you picked Cardano, but you know, Cardano wasn't one of the first blockchains, right? You know, Ethereum predated it. How did you find Cardano out of a slew of, you know, other players who, you know, many have potentially failed, uh, you know, already? Yeah. So I would have, I was, I would say I was at the time, there wasn't that much else, but I was definitely much more interested in Bitcoin than Ethereum. I think um, because I didn't know anything and I was reading and I was, whoever I was following on whatever Twitter or reading about, I think shaped probably more so than it should have when I first got in. Cause I didn't know how to really have an opinion, right? I kind of got it, but I didn't exactly, I wasn't in it every single day. Um, so I think it was right around the, the, the split, the Dow attack, right? And Ethereum was a buck and my buddy and I were talking about it and we were like, Oh, that's, that's going away. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's <laughs> so, but it didn't. And, but then Ethereum classic happened. And then, and so between, me and a couple of friends at the time who were um, also technical, um, and I can't code, but I'm pretty technical, I guess you could say. Um, that was, we started talking about it. We started research, researching it. And I happened to come across Charles when he was doing something with Ethereum Classic, if I remember correctly. And it was pre-Cardano, post-DAO. And it was, it was just him presenting sort of the values of Ethereum Classic and why it was important to stay with Ethereum Classic. And I, again, I didn't have the depth of knowledge at the time to really grasp it, but I appreciated the, uh, the combination of the, the technology as well as the value system, as well as like, if this is what we're doing, we need to follow that, right? It's too, it, we literally just started this whole thing and all of a sudden we're breaking, breaking sort of values. And I think that's really big an important lesson because um, from when it comes to businesses and creating either companies or, or teams, those early days of decision-making um, are, are, are really critical to like establishing the long-term decision-making process. And I just, it was a nice balance and it, and it, and it sort of tugged on my human, human humanity as well, which I thought was fun because it was less about the technology and more about it, the technology being a tool for people, mm. which, which we, a lot of the crypto says that. I, I, some seem more earnest than others. <laughs> yeah, I think that's for as long as the number's going up, everyone's happy. And... Yeah, yeah. It's um, for everybody. <laughs> Don't slow down. <laughs> if I understand, you know, correctly at the time, one of the principles that was on debate is, uh, is code law? Um, and I'm curious if you have a perspective on whether code should be law or not. And, you know, I think Ethereum Classic said, like, yeah, it should be. And we're going to respect the code, even if it does things we don't want. Um, 
to answer the heart of your question, I would say that code is a much better way to represent law than anything else. So, so what's important around around blockchain to me is it's programmable, right? We, we it's much harder mm -hmm. to change law, real law, right? Because you, but but it's much easier to change governance that's digital. And I think, again, working in the enterprise world, you have a lot of We'll call it digital governance, whether it's in workflows or rules or permissions, and something that if, if you work in retail or or, or non sort of high uh, regu non regulated enterprise use, use cases, it doesn't seem bad to me that there were these rules and these rules had to be adjusted, but it took it took a little friction, um, and so I would say it's it's a better it's a better medium for law, maybe is how I'd say it, rather than saying it is law, because I think. What I hear when people say code is law, they should say it shouldn't change. But it's not that the law doesn't change, it's that the rules around when laws are quote unquote laws are, are enacted, that they're that they're trusted and they're they're predictable. Um, and so I like I like I'd rather say code is code is the best way for law, the best way to manage law. <laughs> it's probably how I'd rephrase it if that makes sense. I love uh, I love the kind of nuance that that you bring to it because you know if you look today especially in Ethereum there's lots of you, you know hacks a bridge is a hack seemed like every other week um, and you know there's lots of uh, ways that people are trying to recover from that some of which circumvents the code um, do you think Ethereum Classic did it right like was that the the way to do it essentially keep the hack within the chain from a from a I think it, I think it would have been better off if I mean you know if we're relitigating. Re I, I think this idea of of you have a programmable system with smart contracts like what's the difference, right? You're at the very beginning. Like all these people were like, oh, you move back, break things, you you create all this new stuff. I, I think it would have been better for the community who stuck around to build it because because to be honest. I mean, who knows what Lithium Classic would be because Cardano probably wouldn't be here if that was the case, right? And and one of the really crazy things of thing about that is that also means we may not have a second sort of proof of stake UTXO model. And I think that's that's actually a really big deal that, that Ethereum Classic didn't work out and Cardano sort of Charles cut it that way because one of the main reasons, in my opinion, that, that Ethereum and other Ethereum-like um, have different issues is the accounting model. And, and that is a very difficult thing to program um, at a, we'll call it, global state level um, than, than UTXO model. And, and this kind of starts picking up on the enterprise use case stuff. But to answer your direct question, if for for the moment, yes, I I I agreed with go stay the course, fix it, and and go from there, as opposed to this will ruin it all because I don't think that would have been the case. Yeah, we definitely have two, you know, strongly different models, right? The, the UTXO model and the accounting model. Uh, does either of them hew more closely to the traditional system? Um, and if so, like, how do you see the model impacting blockchain's ability to solve problems? Um, yeah, I actually build off one of the things that I guess I'm, as I'm getting old, um, I guess in crypto terms, I am old, which is great, um, is, you know, you think about that DAO that would desire to fix it. And you see this a lot with, um, with the, I'll get back to your question, by the way, uh, the, the desire to fix it, I think, comes from a lot of people who are young, right? And they're like, we have to fix this. The world's going to end. Crypto is going to be over if we don't. Whereas you see, you know, and I'm just now getting to the point where I've seen a cycle or two or a thing or two, right? And you see things that started five, six years ago that have failed. Um, I was reading about Axie Infinity, right, yesterday and how that's just, yeah. who knows what that is. I mean, and I, I don't even know that much about it other than I know enough about it to go say, ooh, that didn't turn out how, how everybody thought. And that idea that you can get over it is is hard to, it's hard to ask a 22-year-old or however old they were to do it, even even think that. Um, so to, to answer your question, yes. Yeah, so, so the traditional world is certainly the, the the traditional accounting model. So that's Ethereum, where it's debits and credits, right? You have a global, you have a bank account, and your bank account has X amount of value in it, a thousand dollars, whatever dollars you want to use, and any transaction you have to pull from that a thousand dollars. So the reason it's difficult, imagine having fifty different people try to pull. A, a, money from that $10,000 you've got in your account and you got to get that in the right order at the right time and then make sure all the money's there 
And that's how the traditional system works. And that's why it's still really difficult. All that reconciliation and accounting I was talking about before, it's the same thing. What money came in, when, why, and, and, and which one should we do in order so that it's all true? Yeah, so that I can charge up. the most number of overdraft fees on the particular yeah. account <laughs> well, that came through. <laughs> well, so uh, well, the overdraft fees, gas fees, you know, same thing. Um, just kidding. Um, th this, so, so, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the model. It just comes with the trade-off. That's all. And, and I do think what we're seeing a little bit and is, is from a infrastructure or finality of transactions or determinism transactions and to get where I sort of ended up going much more towards the Cardano side, thinking about it from a business, not business, that's the wrong way, from a, I would say enterprise, but also like, what is the bottom layer use case? Because I do think the blockchain is a, a one of many layers. It's one of many sort of infrastructure layers that, that just like our protocols, just like our sort of settlement systems and things. And I think it, I think it does matter what type of accounting model is at the bottom. And I think an accounting model like an Ethereum, which is very much similar to the traditional one, is a lot more risky um in in the blockchain world then to, to manage that so i mean get into that if you want but that's 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 how i'd answer it which is i i there's nothing wrong with accounting model i just don't know if it's i'm not sure i'd want it as my base zero layer one like if it's retail like a retail layer one or consumer layer one that's got different use cases that's fine and then i see many many different kind of things working together and in tandem and to help each other out yeah, I, I love that perspective of kind of separating the layer zero and the layer one. And we've seen, I think, borne out with all the uh, problems that Ethereum's faced, not Ethereum, the chain itself, but the use of it uh, through all these hacks, that it is a little more fragile in certain scenarios. Uh, now, when I speak speak with, with people, they're either kind of in one or two, one of two camps. They're hardcore DeFi DGENs, or they're NFT folks. And you seem to have kind of blended uh, the both of them. So how did you make the transition from DeFi into NFTs? Yeah, so I think this goes back to what I said before around, um, you know, studied art history, realized I did not want to work in art history. Before that, I was actually a just computer nerd playing games, being I'm very interested <laughs> in tech. Um, but then I, when I got to working, I ended up working in business software and I got to work in banking and in healthcare and in workforce development and talent and, and all sorts of different things. And I think it's just been really, it gave me a lot of perspective. And so one, I've always been appreciative of art, that, that's something. Two, working the tech side, it was, it was a, bit, a bit easier to kind of see how they blend together. Um, and, and, and three, it, for, like I said before, I was investing, I was, I was participating, I was interested, but I wasn't actually in any community, right? And so I missed from a pure just both investments, I'll call it, and a pure just interest. I missed Ethereum DeFi. Just, I just, I couldn't deal with the, the gas fees. I couldn't deal with, it was just too much. And there's too many things to follow and I just couldn't get. But because I had been really interested in Cardano and I knew DeFi was coming, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be a lot more paying attention at the beginning because I learned more of my traditional finance job as well as, as, well as seeing what happened in Ethereum. So then I decided, okay, well, I'll get there early. And then I had, so I was following along, just learning. It wasn't doing anything, just waiting. I, mean, I made my wallet, started staking, just was going to sit there. And I genuinely had no plans to get into the NFTs. Just was not, not something that I really understood. And then I saw uh, an interview with Alexander Watanabe from Unsigs and Patrick Tobler from NFT Maker and with Hashoshi. And those two interviews, based, or that interview, basically, I just said, oh, I'm interested in all three of these things. I like, I'm really interested in the people. I like where they're coming from. I enjoy what they're saying in that intersection. And I was like, I'll go get one. Sure. That, like, this seems like, <laughs> this seems like the perfect marriage of all my, my interests. Um, and I'll participate during the discord and sort of join the Twitter. And then it was off and running since then for, at least for the for Cardano side. So that, that's how it started by total accident. Uh, so something that I find fascinating is that um, and you close, close over it, but you went from not having a career, right? Like before, just like everyone, to focusing on art and the history of art and then to traditional finances and uh, then to uh, crypto, sorry, cryptocurrencies and then to NFTs. I, I just, I, I find that kind of um, journey to be extremely um, varied. So I, I, 
were there some things that, for example, that guided you through your journey while, while studying art that just keep being relevant later as you dived into TradFi and DeFi and so on? Yeah, I think um, so. It was good around the art history study to because a lot of it started there. Um, actually, I'll go back. Part of it started being in a, a gamer, right? I, I grew up in the, I was early gamer in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? I played MMOs. I played first-person shooters. I played online gaming. I was in you know, IRC. I was very much a early adopter digital native sort of for the time, right? So I was very much in tune with, well, I guess, internet culture. And I was always sort of abreast of that. So, so that's one. Then you get into art history and, and there's an appreciation for the nuance, right? For for not everything has a quantitative answer. Not everything has, you know, some things are just about this, the concept, right? The the idea and being able to convey that. Um, and, and studying our history was cool because it was a mix of, it reflected what was going on at the time. So it was historical, it was sort of societal, it was commentary. It was, it was a lot of times about money. It was a lot of business. I mean, you know, whether it was symbolic or, or true and the patrons, right. And the people who made all this happen. And I always found it really interesting that the people that sort of are most financially successful um, all, all ended up happening to coming back to things like art. You know, wh mm -hmm. why is that? What, what, what is it about it that, you, that whatever era, I mean, for all of human history, well, relevant or recent human history, I should say, when you get to this point, you go back to the unexplainable and the more, we'll call it romantic side of the, or at least Western sort of civilization, but seems to be pretty ubiquitous, the philosophical side. So, and I've always been in the, uh, I don't know, the, the place of ideas and concepts and things. So, um, so, so fast forward, I, I was, Marcel Duchamp, right? If, if anyone is an art history major um, or art history kind of lover, there's, he's an artist that back in the, I guess the, the teens, he put a urinal in a in a in a, a art gallery and was like they called them ready maids, and and what was interesting about that was like it was this idea of saying somebody's making this and designing this and it has its own input and design and it has all this like you know its own beauty to it right and when you put it in a bathroom it's a, it's this like oh god we got to stay away from it but you put it in an art gallery and all of a sudden it's high <laughs> art right. And it's this, this ready-made art. And I think it was this where you place it mattered. And, and we, then you start getting into, yeah, exactly. That's like one of the most famous pieces of art of all time. Like, I'm not joking. And, and, and it wasn't the urinal that was famous, right? It was the idea. It was the first person to like take this concept and publicly make it uh, challenge how we think about things and that's why it's important right you couldn't do that again and and so bring that forward there's all these concepts that we've been exploring as people and art for a long time and they dealt with economy and they dealt with money and society and people they dealt with the big and small questions that we're all dealing with right it was love and war right you know and everything in between and we're doing it again right we're doing it again in nfts but we have a better medium I think, you know, I, I think the blockchain is a better place for what the abstract art movement started because it was too hard to take abstract ideas and really make it useful, right? And really tie it home, really make it interactive and really kind of, kind of get it to be vibrant like that because you put a urinal in there, you paint a picture black and you put it in there and most people say, I, I could do that or that's dumb. Right, but that wasn't what it was about. But it's too hard to really marry those together, and I think that's where we're exploring the same questions we've been exploring. But now we have a better way to do it and a better kind of canvas, if you will, to to, to put it on. Something that I'll I'll take to homework is to meditate on, on two words that uh, you just touched on, but I think they they really cover a lot of the, of the things that you were discussing. Um, uh, the symbolic as an asset, and it really touches like um, why wealthy investors would be interested in art and why NFTs kind of make sense. I, I'll, I'll just think about that for a while. Symbolic as an asset, that seems. Well, and, and that's not, I'm not, I mean, there's plenty of people using art forever and now for uh, more nefarious purposes, but you know, well, I guess we're, we're gonna speak about the, the best of these cases. Uh, you know, money laundering happens uh, in, in NFTs and, and in art as well. <laughs> but that's, sure. not, that's, that's not fun to talk about. 
<laughs> and and with that segue, let, yeah, exactly. let's jump a little bit more to the the projects that you're you're involved in um, from from NFTs. Um, and I think you know I teased for for folks who are watching this whole idea of non fungible visualizations. What is that? Okay, so yeah, this will take some some context. So thankfully, I think we've covered a good amount of it. So um, NFTs, so give un unsigned algorithms, and I don't know. I get too much into unsigned algorithms, but I do think it was um, that unsigned algorithms to me was speaking both to the technology as well as to this broader art, capital A art conversation, right? Picking up where the 50s and the 60s and kind of postmodern art left off and then saying, hey, what is art with this new medium and new digital stuff? Um, and that was was important just for me to sort of getting it going there. And so why that was important to me is I got to meet a bunch of people um, <laughs> like you all and, and, and others who, who I kind of had this blend of, of the two, which was exciting. Uh, and so that got me into it. That got me into understanding a bit more around what the concept of NFT was. I mean, I knew it at a definitional level, but it was very different to reinteracting with it. And then unpack also... that a little bit, unpack oh, yeah, yeah. that concept and the realization that you had there. Yeah, yeah, great, good, great, great question. So, so the idea of like an NFT being a digital scarce good, an individual kind of thing, like I, I got that from a conceptual level. But then when we were looking at unsigned algorithms and the code, so to speak, was in it and it wasn't a link, and, and that just sort of put a little light bulb of, oh, there, there's a lot more we can do with that. And then you start talking about these possibilities that, that again, if you go back to the 2015s we were talking about before, there's all these ideas, but now they're real. Now they're things. Now they're now they're program. Now they're generative art on chain, right? And at the same time, it was Cardano trees at the time. It was Egon's um, Stellar Hood. It was all this really cool stuff of on chain items that I just because I was thinking about it from a Cardano, I mean Ethereum point of view, I didn't appreciate an NF, a native asset NFT. Actually, is it, really what it's come down to. I didn't know that at the time, um, but then you start going. Oh, well, that could be a contract. That could be an insurance insurance contract. That could be a DeFi product. That could be a, um, a homeowner's thing. And all of a sudden that, that just opened up this whole idea. But then at the same time, what happened was we were talking about NFTs. I go, well, an NFT can be more than art. It can be more than anything. So why are we even talking about NFTs as, as the name? Which it, it does not actually make any sense. And it'll be one of those weird anachronisms from history because it won't last because as soon as NFTs start being ubiquitous elsewhere, we're going to come up with something else, which is why I talk about either programmable art, or if you know Afa Ginger, who I'm sure will come up here shortly, she talks about blockchain art. Um, that's a debate for another day. Uh, but, I, I, but it got into that part. So then I said, okay, well, if it's art, an NFT is only one attribute to this art. Well, then it gets really weird to go say you've got, you know, unsigned algorithms with space buds, right? They're not the same thing, right? They're not the same. Maybe some overlap, maybe some consumer overlap, maybe some community overlap, but they're not in the same idea, right? They're not, the same, they're not trying to do the same thing. And then you just add all the rest of the projects across all the ch other chains and everybody's doing this. And, and I think what's, what's sort of become obvious that to me, we have a category problem um, or categorization problem. And... Just to show. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So space right? So space is more of your traditional kind of profile picture project with rarity and attributes that were about the combination of, you know, swords and, you know, frogs and sharks and things, right? Um, which I, there's a very different use case for this about community, right? And I think there is something about art being the beginning of a community that is really new, um, which which if we want to kind of come back to that in a second, I think is, is worthwhile. But to get to NFEs, um, it was about sort of this really tough, this tough conversation of, well, they're not all the same. And so we have to start calling things differently. So first, the idea was, well, I, I would like to make it more alive. Maybe we'll call it that. And it started because I kept missing Epoch's End. And if you're on Cardano, Epoch's End is sort of every five days. It also happens to be a really great Twitter space. And I kept missing it. And um, I said, hey, you guys should have a grandfather clock NFT that tells the time. And that way we'll stop missing Epoch's End because it's every five days. That's just weird because it's you know off on, on the calendar. And um, I kept thinking about that. 
and then um and then everybody started talking about how uh, I was looking I was looking at these Twitter feeds and and everyone's talking about how Cardano's got the highest Nakamoto coefficient or something. And there's all these people posting, you know, hardcore you know, numbers and like graphs and charts that that and just didn't mean anything really. And but they're all going, how do you not see this and, and know that we're more decentralized? I'm like, because nobody like it doesn't mean anything, right? It's point seven two. Okay, so what? <laughs> um, and 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 so, so those two things were kind of happening at the same time. And I was like, well, how do we how do we how do we take these ideas and visualize them? But visualization for for in the in the today's world is bar, bar traps and bar graphs and charts and things like that. But I'm sitting there going, we have generative art, we have art, we, have, we can make whatever we want, right? But we're choosing to leave visualizations in this weird space of parts, charts, and graphs. And I was like, hold on, like we let, can make this way more interesting. Let, let me get there because you you uh, you mentioned a lot of things that maybe people outside of Cardano would not be familiar with. Um, but fortunately, you have a, a couple of web websites that are extremely useful to get more context. So. Um, the, the two main websites that I think people should should go to one is adacafe.io, so it would be a d a c a f e.io, and the other is programmable.art. I'll go through through those. But but so you were mentioning that you were engaging in the Cardano community, and uh, there's a, a Twitter space called Epochs and uh, Epochs and sorry, right? Okay. Um, and there are a bunch of spaces, essentially, that where the Cardano community engages a lot on Twitter. And uh, um, so just speaking with the community, you eventually arrived at, uh, well, I, 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 want to, to, I, want, I want a tool to remind me where, uh, when the epoch um, comes to an end. And they want to, to bring this like, innovation to, to, to NFTs in Cardano. So um, uh, you developed this programmable art website right is that correct yeah so programmable art was was the site and then afa ginger who um if you have her her twitter up but she uh, she she decided to uh maybe make a bad decision and start talking to me a bunch about this stuff but uh so her and i since then have been have been really exploring a lot of this with, with several other folks but she's sort of my main kind of counterpart in, in exploring the, the conceptual nature about what is blockchain art or blockchain native art or programmable art um and so yeah we'll come back to ada cafe so we started started doing that and then it was, okay, well, could, how do we do it? And then, then I started saying, well, why don't we make, why, we need to make these ideas and concepts. We have to put them in a place and we have to then make it easier for people to relate to them, right? Because the core idea of, of let's just stick with Cardano being, uh, let's stick with the epoch being every five days. That's not a really hard thing to get behind. But the best way to show that, you know, the three of us may have three different, uh, very different ideas of which, what, what would we like? Right, you may like an analog clock, kind of like you're showing. Somebody else may want a countdown. Somebody else maybe want something a little more, you know, conceptual or or who knows what. And so, non fungible visualizations were to say, let's let's separate the data from the visualization and let's use let's use NFTs or just blockchain to make it easier to take one piece of data and and have sort of an infinite amount of ways to visualize it. And with blockchain, not only can we make that unique in digital art, but it's also the distribution mechanism. It's also the marketing mechanism. It's also the way that they can relate and you can trust them. Like it comes with all these cool attributes that make this sort of one-to-many relationship between the data and the visualization possible for the first time um, with all the ideas of trust and uniqueness that we have. How have you seen people use the the... Uh, kind of generative visualizations uh, so far that you've created. Yeah, so so there's been um, we started and it's been it's been fun. I think mean, mostly it was it's been it was like academic. I'll call it the beginning. I'm like, hey, what could could this be? And in the very similar time before, if, if this is anything, it's going to be a long, long, long time. So we're not trying to rush it per se. But at the same time, we also didn't want to pretend we knew the end. So we've we've been deliberately not trying to trying to jump ahead. And that was, my, I would say, my problem at the beginning is I wanted it all to be out and about and, and, and available in you know, 12 months or six months. 
and that didn't happen obviously <laughs> but it was because because it's a long i mean it's been a long a long i'll call it journey to kind of realize what's the best way so personally uh, we've been looking at the idea of time and that started with the epoch clock and and has gone since then next ava and i and, and for her oxford thesis so she's got a master's thesis she's going to be publishing here this month actually about blockchain art um and focusing on at blockchain nfts and cardano and her and she, her and i've been working on one thing about space so the first one was around sort of telling time so to speak um if you want to go back to there's that one you put up all three and i think it's useful visual um could we come back to that in a second and then hers is about space as in like physical space but then it's like, well, what's physical space in the blockchain? <laughs> so, so uh, I don't, I won't give too much away. But, but, but we're talking about w what's in the block, so to speak. But if, if you go here, yeah, yeah, that one, perfect, right? So I think this will be a good, this will be a good analogy, and then I can answer maybe your your sort of question of how other people are using it. So the left one, the black and white one, the reason it doesn't look all fancy is because it's all on chain. Right. There's no um, none of space, literal megabyte space. So that's all compressed. But it uses one data source, which is the closest thing for local system time. And then it makes sure you know how long it is till the, the top there, the five, which is the end of the epoch. And the design of this, and it'll be more apparent in the second one, is based off the Bern Switzerland clock tower, which is the clock tower that's I don't know how real it is, but famous for Einstein's um, kind of inspiring relativity. And it was not to tie my project with Einstein, by the way. It was to tie, to tie blockchain as a new way to look at time and measure time between the two. Um, and this sort of inspired it. And so if you go back to the three picture one. I should be able to find it. Yeah. Yep. So then the second one, the one in the middle, same data source, but, the, but the, it requires a link to, in this case, IPFS. Uh, because the, you could tell the, the fidelity, the detail, the information on that blue and yellow one um, in the middle there is a lot more. I, I could put it on chain. Um, and so that one was the same data, totally different implementation, right? Different look, different feel. People like this one more. It may take longer to load with the size of it. But um, but if, if you but people enjoyed that one because it was a more aesthetically pleasing, right? It had it, it spun. And it kind of had some animation to it. And yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, but I say, never, live demos, if you work in enterprise, you never do live demos. Um, so, so, but it had a lot of like nice, interesting things to it. And so if we just stop there for a second, it was a lot easier for me to get people on board with what I was trying to do with an NFB with this one, because it was more interesting, right? So it took, like, that's part of what I'm getting at, right? This sort of black and white doesn't look that great. You got to be really into the sort of the nerdy side of, of NFVs, right? Of like the technical nature between this NFT and this data source and all the, that sort of stuff, right? That's sort of, you gotta be into Duchamp or you gotta be into the ready-made or something like that. This is like, hey, I like clocks. Like, that's cool. Like, I like this thing. It's interesting. And whether or not you got it, don't know. But the third one, just to kind of like tie this all together. So the first one was just one piece of data. Well, you know, there's no limit to that other than we do. So this particular one um, is also on chain, which I think is interesting because it's, it's a totally different look and feel. But you'll notice that there's one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven data points off that. So the next person that wants to use this new data source has seven different inputs to display and talk about this epoch, uh, epoch sort of five day cycle. Right. They can now put in things about the slot. They can now put in things about the block and they can visualize to someone else, the consumer, um, what do they care about? And, and, and this gives more options for, you know, what you want to do with that. And the goal then is let other artists create it. Right. I'm I'm me and, and Epoch blockchain and, 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 and AFA and others kind of made these as examples. But the idea would be take the data source and do your own or we can do one for you or something like that. And you for know, those who may not be kind of as uh, well-versed, how would you describe the difference between this particular NFE and your traditional website that could show the same information pulling from the same data sources? Yes. So this gets into like the epic debate of all things blockchain, but similar idea, which is, well, what's the difference, right? And, and one thing is um, recognizing that most times when you've had 
visualizations in this traditional world, you only get to choose from the creator side, typically. And two, even if you wanted to use it yourself, it's not a piece of art in the sense because you don't, uh, maybe not, it's not a piece of art that you own, right? So, so NFTs add this yeah. sense of, of authenticity as well as verifiability. So I, I do think there's something subtle as we are talking about before the not everything's quant quantitative. Um, if we're trying to get people to care about the underlying data and it's a lot easier if we think about something like, um, I don't know, the, 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 the decentralization coefficient, right? If we just compare just numbers, people will debate about it, right? But if I can help people understand what the numbers mean by visualizing it in two different ways, so same data source, two different display mechanisms, and therefore you, all you two now and I are speaking about the same language, the same saying the same thing, understanding the implications of that, we're gonna start having a very different conversation, right? Because what I, I feel is that you have to be able to trust the visualization. You have to be able to say, I selected that one. This is the one that speaks to me, that tells me about and sort of represents and communicates best what is underneath it, right? Because this is the same thing as looking at the code. It's the same thing as looking at the numbers, but it just makes it easier to understand the implications, right? Because if you look at progress, 58%. Right underneath that is a 58% kind of green line. Like that, that means something it's different. Like it hits you different when you see how much space is taken up versus a number, right? That goes 58 to 59. And I don't know if I'm exactly answering your question, to be honest, but but that that difference of how do we get people to be talking about the same thing is a really big important piece. And we have to well, give more options for people to associate. Let me unpack what I think I'm hearing is that, you know, step one is to have some uh, some sense of data that is uh, verifiable, that everyone can agree that the data is verified in the same data. Uh, and then step two is with the visualizations to give people a way to actually have interesting conversations about the data that are approachable, but still built on that verifiable foundation. So in a sense, uh, you're almost attacking the lies of statistics through the verifiability of the blockchain. Hmm. Well, yes and no. I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. So, so I'll say, yeah, okay. I'll say we're attacking it because I think what we're doing is um, if, you, if, you, if you only look at it one way, right? Again, everyone's, everyone's sort of going to debate the way it's being displayed. So you're not talking about the data. You're talking about the way it's displayed, right? To your point, like the, the statistics you chose. Um, but in one of the, we haven't really gotten into this actually, but think about being able to swap lenses on a piece of data, right? So think about your like rose colored glasses, right? Imagine you've got your, you know, you look at it through a blue lens and it looks one way, a red lens looks another way, a yellow lens looks another way. Well, you can do that now, right? Because you can have, if you have that same data source, you can go look at and, you know, those three different clocks. They have three different ways of telling that story that have different sort of ways that hit you. So it's not necessarily about attacking the lies of statistics per se, but I do think it's trying to address it by saying, can we get people talking about the right thing? As opposed to the, like, can we get people manipulating it for their ends? And I think if that's what we're, we're trying to do, having a shared data source and then giving a visual way to understand it, I think helps us talk about, focus on the right thing. And I think the lies of statistics are about focusing on an agenda versus focusing on what is happening. And I think mm -hmm. that's, it's a two point subtle nuance of why and the intention of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so from the perspective of an application developer, um, this, there are two things here that really capture my eyes. One is the idea of um, how the representation of information could be owned and shared that's definitely a huge part of it at least for me like um and the, the way i see this that uh, this this is going to live in my wallet or in your wallet and maybe maybe if you want to present uh use your wallet as a, as a mechanism to present ideas to other people you could show some of the ideas that have been shared on, on nfts on cardano and but you could also show show some like educational content through and it that, that's super interesting to me. But the other, as an application developer, is um, is like this looks like it's going in the direction of uh, websites, but in the, the sense that, like at the beginning, websites maybe they they weren't as 
um, like as polished as today, just because of the fact that uh, today we have millions of dollars, if not billions, invested in websites, uh, which, for example, we're using today to record this. Um, uh, it's, uh, the, the idea of a direction to take on to develop more interactive or more utility embedded in NFTs, I think that's uh, it's a mm. door to another universe. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Actually, no, no, I'm glad you said utility, um, that you're getting to another, I forgot, like, the, what was happening at the time, too, when it started, and continues to happen, is people, something that's, quote, unquote, art, art and beautiful, they're like, can't have utility. And something that's utility is like, ah, oh, it can't be beautiful. And it's like, why not? I, I, I don't think that that is true. And I think if you go look at, you know, pre- I don't know, the last 30 years, most things, there was always something that was like artificially ornate, artificially craftsmanship. There's always something around. And that's another reason to take time. Like we've had watches forever and clocks forever. And we've had this uh, disparate idea of, of, it was always the same time. We just, you know, somebody had the $2 watch and somebody yes. had the, you know, million dollar watch and somebody made a clock tower. I mean, so, so <laughs> that concept's been around for a long time and it should be here. Um, but I want to come back actually, Vanessa, something you said earlier, like I do think about the other side of this, which is I think it may be easier to, to sort of at least in an instance, just misrepresent the data, but you counter that by having on-chain information by, by being able to verify it, but then also by being able to compare it to other people's version mm. of the same data. And I think it becomes way more obvious who the outlier is, but, or vice versa, maybe the person who actually has it visualized correctly gets to kind of have this version to see here, let me show you, right. And maybe, maybe iterate on it. And so it can kind of go both ways, but it, it ends up being a lot more, I think more of a, uh, I don't want to use the word competition, but I will for now because I don't have a better one. A bit more of a, it should be more dynamic, right? That, of people yeah. trying to say, no, no, no you're, you're not showing it right. Or you're not saying it right or whatever. Well, and that's the conversation, that. right? But like uh, exploring what the, the truth is or wh where people are coming from that can happen now because of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that, that then you can layer on one more thing, which I think is pretty phenomenal, where for the first clock, for example, one day I want to make a simple machine, like little clock machine, clock clock maker, right? Where you can like upload two assets and you can make your own, right? Because I also want to make sure, not just me, but in this conversation, want to make sure that the, the folks and all, all those that are contributing to NFTs, that it'd be as easy for someone to say, I have an idea, but I'm not a programmer. But we say, well, here, why don't we, why don't we give you at least a little help to be able to do it? And it's more about you know, not everybody wants to come up with something from scratch, but a lot of people have a cool idea of how to represent a piece of data. And that, that's, that I think is an interesting sort of target market if you want to put the business terms. Awesome. I want to just pause for a second and give a shout out to the folks who are, you know, following along and, and listening, uh, you know, Hey, 416 Bitcoin, uh, glad you're here. Uh, we have, you know, Patrick's got a wealth of knowledge across DeFi, across NFTs, so if you do have, you know, questions or want to explore an angle, you know, please pop it in chat. We're very happy to, to dive into that. Obviously, you know, Daniel, I have a ton more questions to, you know, plumb from Patrick's amazing experience uh, that he's got. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, where you see this eventually going in the future. Right? So you, you've evolved from data that's fairly raw, it's completely on-chain to representations that are a little more interesting, but still backed by data, potentially to allowing other people to reuse that in their own ways. Uh, what do you see if you look two, three, four years out, what happens to non-fungible visualizations? Like, where does that grow? Yes, let's connect uh, this conversation back to the abstract art movement I was talking about before. Um, and, and I think the first thing is you get much more meaningful data sets, right? So, so next up is sort of Cardano data sets, then maybe other blockchain data sets for other blockchains. It's not supposed to be Cardano exclusive by any means, just happens to be where we're doing a lot of the work. Um, so I think there's that, there's that audience and also that topic that I think is interesting. So the next bit would be getting into real world data, whether it's through oracles or personal data, um, I think is important. Um, and we can use something as simple as, you know, the weather, if you want, or something as meaningful as, as I don't know, world hunger or, you know, pollution or pick, pick, pick whatever topic you want. Um, and 
in the old world of art, you'd have to make a, a, a sort of single piece that represented your sort of either performance or piece of art that represented something, right? The, some, some monumental idea, death or war, or love or peace or pick your thing. Um, and you wanted to measure, let's use, let's use peace, right? That'd be a good one to positive thing to think about. So let's say you wanted to measure we need peace, make this big white canvas and you're done. And you're like, that represents peace. Okay. And, and you, you hope it inspires everybody to always want to do peace. Okay, cool. And there's something about that that's meaningful. And if you can do it in a way that resonates with a lot of people, it is an impactful um, kind of visual art. But it'd be a lot cooler to me if that you made this idea and you tied it to some data that represented peace and the progress of peace. And then you tied it with something really beautiful and wonderful that, that I think resonated. And then it became a measurement, but also it was state art. And you started saying, you know, think about like, um, you know, like the, the debt clock. I mean, this is a very silly. Somebody, somebody, put, somebody pointed this out to me. I was like, I guess it is kind of like that. But like the U.S. has this, had this debt clock, it's like oh, Times Square cool. or something. I don't know. It's like measuring like real time. How much debt do we owe? But it's pretty impact. It's pretty meaningful to see it change, and all of a sudden you're like, man, it's forty seven kajillion dollars. Now it's forty nine, <laughs> right? And I just I sit here for thirty seconds, right? That is a really like meaningful piece of of, of art in a sense. Um, but we should be able to do that with very personal data, community data, weather data, health data, but just big data, um, not the enterprise sense, but bigger, meaningful data. Um, and, I, and I think that is going to open up a whole new set of who can not only come up with a cool concept, who can then display it in a way that people care about. And then it's programmable and dynamic that you get, it gets to live a lot longer and be, and be relevant a lot longer, I feel like. Just to uh, make sure that people are able to follow up, uh, would you like to spend a little bit on the Oracle side of it? Because it's key, right? Like with, with Oracle, it really becomes very powerful, this idea of extracting data from the blockchain and using it. But I wanted to know if you, if you, wanted, if you wanted to dive deeper in the, in the Oracle concept. Yeah, so an Oracle, I mean, I'm still not sure exactly sure how I define an Oracle, but we're going to use the term, it takes off-chain data and makes it accessible on chain, let's leave it at that. Now, there's a lot of questions, right? Just like any data set to say, well, who, where's it coming from? How do we know it's true? How do we, how do we verify that against other data sets? Um, and I think for NFVs, it's gonna run the spectrum, which is I can see the concept being useful to a community that they don't really care if it's sort of nine statistical you know, proofs from, from being perfect and oh my gosh, but that may matter to a global audience for a global piece of data like you know, global water measurements or something, right? You wanna make sure it's good and easy. But you know, if, if it's my data that for my neighbors and we have a pretty secure place for it, like, okay, fine, right? And, and I think one of the things we're confusing a bit and I look, at, I look at it a bit in general, like NFTs is, at least for NFVs, maybe they're supposed to be beautiful and useful. And, and, and sometimes they're going to sort of run their course. And, and I think about them like an old, you know, like machine and, and just it'll die one day, which is okay, right? But we can make a new one. It's no big deal, right? And it doesn't have to be this forever piece of thing. But I do think if someone wanted to, to do it, you could. So this idea of where the data come from and, and how you assess it, I think has to do with who are you trying to reach and what are you trying to say? And, and if you're trying to say something really big that you want everybody to agree on, the more secure data, the better Oracle, the better kind of verification trust you need and the more time you need to put into the design of it versus you know, who, who's, who's using it and, and we can have the whole gamut to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, I, I would say that for me, one of the most interesting things about um, this, the, the, the idea of NFBs is that it really feels that they're so early, like similarly to how uh, NFT spelled a couple of years ago, because they're really going to be, you will correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel they're really going to be extremely relevant, like in a, in a year or two when oracles are like live and everybody, uh, we have like all of this uh, real world data in the blockchain, then You'll be like, oh, of course, in a piece, but like you're you're being extremely early with the concept. Uh, that's uh, cr courageous. That's that's fascinating. So, 
And I, I, no, I actually, so to go back to that idea of, um, I was talking about peace before and kind of being more eternally or maybe adaptive. I mean, that's a big piece of it, that the data underneath it changes. Now, it doesn't have to be real time, but it changes at some interval, right? Whether that's 10 minutes, 10 days or 10 hours or whatever. And um, that'll be, that, 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 that dynamism, I think, is important because when we, I, the easiest thing to relate it to is we have our little pictures around what the weather is, right? If it's cloudy, but there's no rain, you're like, ah, eh, cloudy, who knows what? Whether it's raining, it's lightning. Like, you have a very different response to like, what am I going to do today? And I think we can bring that visual language more, make, make more ubiquitous. And I think people can infer a lot more from visuals than we appreciate, right? I think there's a reason why art is so useful and so in, encapsulate, cap, captivating. And I think if we can take why beauty of art is awesome and then infuse usefulness to it. I'm hoping people will see harder problems easier or grasp them easier or speak to a different emotion or place um, that will, will get it. And, and for the positive side too, <laughs> that, that good things are more celebrated perhaps is, is also equally as important. I love it. Patrick, I have, I have just loved our conversation. I love the kind of depth of thought that you bring to some of these concepts and how you're pushing forward both, uh, you know, on the art side, the technology side, uh, but also looking at the layers un underneath it. Uh, you know, just before we close, I'm curious if you have any uh, projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to share with people or kind of new upcoming things that they should watch out for. Yeah, so um, I can't speak too much about it, but I do, I do think there is we're doing a lot with trying to bridge traditional finance and, 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 well, and I've just DeFi, but just blockchain, right? And, and um, something that kind of harken back to the beginning of the conversation, one of the reasons that I am using Cardano mostly when I think about that is it feels one of the few that's appropriate and safe enough for enterprise use case, even if it's an early kind of concept. Um, and so that is certainly something I'm interested in doing because that's kind of my day job and and it's a little early there still, uh, but there's a lot more people open to it and, and there's some some really fun conversations going on there. So I'm hoping to be able to talk about those more in depth. Um, from the maybe specific Cardano blockchain side, uh, continuing with NFEs and, and probably expanding um, with AFA, a big, big piece is this programmable art or blockchain art. Um, AFA has a conference that she and some others have organized in Oxford in September. Um, so certainly hope to be attending that. Um, she has been, she's working on her paper that'll be released at the end of this month and, and something that I think is part of this broader conversation. So you need to check out what she's up to, which is fantastic. Um, and then the Ada Cafe items, right? So I think that's, there's some interesting work going on there around evolving the Ada Cafe, right? It, it started off very much to support the Twitter spaces and, and that has been, you know, okay and successful, but we've learned a bunch and we're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do from there and how do we evolve it and where do we serve as a role? So um, we've got some fun things working with, with NFEs there. We have some a new idea about maybe community verification of projects and services going on. Um, and we're trying to figure out what is our place, right? And, and, and everybody hopes they get it right the first time. And I think we've got it directionally correct, but you know, we're evolving and, and seeing how it, how it can serve and help as, as it's changing too. Um, it is a little different to kind of be in the bear market and doing this stuff. It becomes more obvious, uh, you know, how much enthusiasm maybe wanes from, from, from some folks. But. <laughs> so those are, those are the three main topics. Um, you know, it's so easy to go into so many different items. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Um, oh, the last one, uh, why not? Uh, if, if any of you know who Big, Big Joe is in the Cardano ecosystem, he and I have been talking about this concept of why not, which is trying to get people to be excited to, to do something big and bold and new, but we'll find out. I'm really excited because I see you connecting with people and building community, and it's a it's a much more hands-on approach than uh, a lot of people. So uh, I, I thank you so much for for the time you have invested and in, in, in what you have contributed. Um, uh, like a lot of folks just can't do that; like they just don't have the time uh, to do that. Like for example, me, but but I really appreciate that you're doing uh, so. I'll, I'll, um, so I really think people should follow up and, uh, and reach out to you and to Ava uh, and to you know the, the rest of the people interacting with, with uh, in your community. So just to show where people can go. 
um, please go to adacafe.io. Uh, there's a, a link at the top for the spaces calendar, and then you you will be able to uh, you know be reminded of, of where, when mm -hmm. these spaces are going to be, and uh, you can join and and make mm -hmm. questions and speak with people, and that's like extremely valuable for like human connections in this modern world. Um, also, please go to programmable.art, uh, sorry, programmable.art, um, and on Twitter, at programmableart, uh, underscore art for Patrick, and uh, Ava, underscore ginger for Ava. Um, and if, if anybody knows the person who's sitting on programmable art with the E instead of the underscore, I, I have a free clock for you if you can help me get in touch with them. It's a dead account that I can't, I sent, sent a message. So, uh, you know, I'm still looking for it. <laughs> yeah, maybe at some uh, point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I will say too, I mean, I've given my sort of day job work. I've not been able to be as much around the ecosystem, I would say the last couple of weeks or about a month or so. So first of all, there's a lot of people that, that are helping, that are contributing um, to, to Ada the Cafe in particular. And there's definitely some folks who are interested in NFBs and programmable art. Um, and, and I'm excited about those two being sort of foundational pieces to build from. And I just you can't say thank you enough to just way more people than we can name here who are part of it. So um, there's a ton, ton of it. But it's 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 fun. I mean, I think I, I said this the other day, it is it is a weird group of people that have come together because it's on this global space and so many different perspectives. And I think it's been, oh, it's been really, I, to me, it's been, I think, really exciting because um, there's a book called Team Human, which I, I suggest everybody go and read. And, and the reason is that, that, you know, humans should be at the top of our value stack here and technology should be a real clear second. Um, and I think that, that us connecting on blockchains and Twitter spaces across the you know, YouTube, whatever, other than there's plenty of terribleness that happens, which is no fun. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff of, of how, how, how similar we are and, and how much is it of us just, just picking the wrong thing at the top of the stack, I would have to say, right? And I think if we put people and other people first in, in, our, in how we make decisions, it's not to say we'll do best with everybody, but, I try not to put the technology ahead of the people that are using it. And, and it's hard because the technology is awesome and fun and it's way more easier just to not think about the people. But Team Human really helped me put words and sort of ideas around that that have helped really shaped making it a little easier. And then in the end, like it's that's what it's all about. It's like, why else are we here? I don't know. But uh, maybe that's a good place to kind of wrap it up, wrap it up for me. It's a, a phenomenal message, uh, Patrick, and, uh, you know, I hope that we can all take that to heart as we go, you know, on about the rest of our day after this. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, thank you to everyone who who uh, tuned in and, uh, you know, for watching and listening and supporting. Uh, please do follow Patrick uh, on, the, on the various Twitters, and we'll see you again soon. Thank Cheers. you so much for having me.